Welcome to the Borders of Blue podcast. My name is Lisette. In episode 7 today, we delve into Con Cohen's conversion experience. While Con Cohen was being treated so kindly by the Fisky family, the thought never came to his mind that he was wrong in his religion and that Judaism could be superseded by anything better. He felt that the trouble with him was that he was not living up to his religion as he should and that if he could ever get to it, the thing for him to do was to fully live up the religion of the Bible, Moses and the prophets. He never at any time thought that their religion was something he must have, though he frequently felt that if it were on the market, it would be a good thing to purchase. He said the following, I never had any convictions that I was a sinner and that I needed personally to have anything to do with this Jesus. I only felt that this Jesus was not so bad as people made him out to be and that the Christian religion, and as I saw it illustrated, was not so evil as I was taught from my childhood. Let me give a little brief explanation on what the Jewish idea of sin is. It's seldom that a Jew will admit that he's a sinner, and it is written in the ethics of the fathers, all Israel shall have a part in the world to come, for it is written, and all thy people shall be righteous. From this the rabbis have concluded that God's love for Israel is so great that somehow he will see that they are all saved in the kingdom if they do not commit any serious outward offenses. So the rabbis have taught that sin is an overt act and it has nothing to do with the inward conduct. This is doubtless why the Savior had the experiences with the Jews that he had along with the lines of the teaching of the law. And this you can find in Matthew 5. 19 to 37. Khan Cohen's health improved and he went back to work and once in a while it would occur to him that he should be a better man for the Lord was good to him and he ought to appreciate it and occasionally he would go to the synagogue and in this way seek to pay up some of his obligations so to speak and he would at times mingle with the Jews and let them know that he was not entirely out of the fold and yet still he was not yielding much to the influence of the gospel that the Fiskies shared with him. And he did not think that there was really anything there for him, better than what Judaism offered. One but little realizes how the influences of Judaism are indelibly impressed upon the mind of a Jewish child, and how hard they are to forsake, even when they begin to realize or feel that there are some things which appear much better. There's a common saying among the Jews, if a man is born a Jew, he must die a Jew. They say that sometime a man will repent of his evil course if he leaves the fold of Judaism, because it is ordained that man must die in the faith of his fathers. It wasn't long before Cohen found himself sick again, and it seemed to him as though something serious would happen unless he changed his occupation and performed other labor where his health could improve. He said that at times he would feel fairly well and at other times his health was quite miserable. He also said that he did not take the care of himself that he should and as a result he never had six months of good health at any time till after he was 22 years of age. 
Occasionally, Cohen would attend church with the Fiske family, and he noticed that their interest in his health grew. They did all they could to assist him, and they would welcome him at any time among their friends and church relations. While he did not hear very much of their preaching, what he did hear seemed in harmony with the Old Testament, that is, and it seemed to him that it was the same kind of teaching that he learned in his Old Testament as a Jew. Now, you must not be surprised to learn that Jews do not think or believe that the Christians have the same Old Testament that the Jews have. For the Jews claim that the passages that the Christians say refer to Jesus are not in the Jewish Bible. And they go on to say that the missionaries have inserted these in themselves. So when he heard them quote from the Old Testament, it sounded very familiar. And he still loved to hear the words of Moses and the prophets. An interesting fact, the Jews claim that nowhere in the Old Testament does the Bible say anything of Jesus or of his death and crucifixion. Cohen actually said that he remembered one evening while speaking with a Jew about the death of the Savior that he mentioned the fact that the Old Testament spoke of Christ being pierced. But this Jew refused to admit that there was such a statement. And so he turned to the book of Zechariah. And they showed this Jew from the 12th chapter and 10th verse that it plainly states, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. But the Jew immediately said to him that there was no such verse in the Bible, but that the missionaries docked the Bible up to suit themselves so that their ideas of the prophecies might fit. And so that gives you a better idea of the challenges Christians have when trying to show these prophecies to the Jewish people. Sometimes the young men who worked in the same shop as Cohen would ask him to attend their church and occasionally he would do so. When he accepted their invitations, his impressions of Christianity waned. As he attended these other churches, he felt that there was a difference between even these Christians. And he provided two interesting illustrations. He stated the following. One evening, one of the young men asked me if I would attend a strawberry festival in the church. Of course, I like strawberries, cream and cake. I thought it would be the same to me to pay 15 cents for it in a church as in any other place. I must confess that I never witnessed more hilarity in any place than was manifest during this occasion. It seemed as though all sense of morality was lost and the people thought of nothing only of seeing how worldly they could behave. But the strange part of it all was, as I was about to leave with several others, the preacher came and began to talk religion. He sought to impress us that we should belong to the church and be Christians. He went on for a while until we had become thoroughly disgusted with the man and with his kind of Christianity. On another occasion, I attended a Sunday school in a different church. I was informed that they had a pleasant hour on Sunday afternoon and a man who spoke well and would I not like to go. Time usually hung heavily on my hands on Sunday, so I concluded I would spend an hour and see what they did. Whether I was really getting interested in Christianity or not, I was not certain, but I thought it might not do any harm even though it may not accomplish much good. After I had attended a few Sundays, the minister who taught the men's Bible class said that the opportunity would be given for questions. 
Certain things had been stated in the class which were different from what I had been taught and different from what I had heard the other ministers preach where I occasionally attended. So I concluded to send in a written question and hear what the preacher had to say. To my astonishment, as well as my disgust, he ridiculed the question and said nothing about the Bible in reply. He just made fun of other beliefs, which to me were as Christian as was his belief. Thinking perhaps I did not fully understand his reply, I ventured to speak to the man personally. I was shocked at the way he talked to me. He gave me to understand that the religion of Christians now was different from what it used to be. There were many things in the Bible which were not essential now, that much of the Old Testament was not meant for people living in these times, that the people who taught the obligation of the law of God and truths kindred to it did not have much faith in Christ, and much more along this line. I must confess that when I left him, I had very little use for him, his church, or his religion. And so you can understand why it was that his impressions of the Christian religion weakened as he would attend different religious places, and it seemed to him that this whole thing must be a sort of babel. It was a regular confusion. All would claim to be Christian. No two kinds agreed. Every kind would seek to tear down the other kind, and they all had different views of the same thing. Yet when he would go to the church with his friends, the Fisky family, he would hear the blessed words of God, which seemed to sound so good. Of course, it had much of the Savior in it, and the Old and the New Testaments seemed to be very closely combined. One thing about the Fisky family with whom he lived was very impressive. They lived their religion more than they talked it, and to be sure, they talked it at times. Yet to him they said but little. They illustrated it. He said that he could not appreciate this at the time, but their lives were indeed a living exposition of the Christian religion. For two years he had been with the family, and they claimed to believe the Bible, and they acted it. They taught that Jesus was the Savior of all men, and they showed their faith in this by following his example. They observed the Sabbath of the Lord. They did not eat swine's flesh. They paid their tithes and had a very different spirit from many others who called themselves Christians. He also went on to say that they claimed that in a little while they were going to see the same Jesus coming again in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Their treatment of him was unusually kind, and they showed such a great interest that it was beyond explanation. When they had their prayers, they used to pray for him, and it seemed as though he belonged to them. They wished him to have what they were enjoying, and God was indeed hearing their prayers. He explained it like this. One night, after a meeting of the temperance society, of which I was a member, I had bidden my friend good night and started toward the house. Just as I turned a street corner, suddenly there came a peculiar haze over my vision, and it seemed as though I could scarcely see. And although I was not far from a street lamp, there seemed to be sort of a veil between me and it. Everything was hazy and blurred, 
A strange and peculiar feeling crept over my heart. What was happening I could neither explain nor understand. Not being able to see clearly and having this strange feeling, I hardly knew what to do. There was no one in sight as it was late at night, and this fear increased inside of me, and I hurried towards the house. I walked very fast and was sure that somebody was walking just as fast behind me. I heard the repetition of my steps, and I felt terribly afraid and knew not what to do. I finally decided to run, and ran with all my might. I heard these same steps going as rapidly as mine did. I was sure someone was chasing me from behind, and felt haunted from within. I reached the house, unlocked the door, and rushed to my room. When reaching my room, I went inside and hastily locked the door. I did not sleep very well that night and could not explain what had happened. It was something new and strange. It was peculiar. No one had done anything to me. No one had said anything to me. But still, this peculiar experience had come into my life and I could not comprehend it. I said nothing in the morning but went to work. God, however, was preparing me for what was coming, and the Holy Spirit had already begun the work. This I learned a little while later. The next day, while at the dinner table, Mr. Fiske was telling me something about religion and what people should do. He was rather talkative this day on religious subjects, and finally turning to me, he said, Khan, you ought to be a Christian. And with this he stopped. No more needed to be said. I soon left the table and went to my work. All that afternoon I heard nothing save, you ought to be a Christian. Everywhere I moved, every time I took my knife to cut the leather, from everyone I met I could hear the words, you ought to be a Christian. I'd never read the New Testament, knew nothing of what was in it, only what I'd heard of it occasionally. Then some said it contained one thing, and some said another. Ought I to be a Christian? That was the question. I had been repeatedly told never to have anything to do with Christianity, and while I had already learned that it was not so bad as I supposed it to be, still it was nothing for me to accept, and what had I to do with it? But this dear man had said to me, You ought to be a Christian. It was this man who was such a good man whose life was so different from that of most other people that I had met, who was so kind and interested, and who had done for me all that a father could do. It was he who said, You ought to be a Christian. I could find no fault with him. I could see no inconsistencies in his religion. He believed in the Old Testament the same as I did, but he believed in the New also. He said that I ought to be a Christian, and how the Holy Spirit did drive that statement into my soul that afternoon and into the evening. That evening I went to a class where there were some people preparing to engage in selling Christian literature. They all seemed happy and were glad that they were going to distribute the Word of God to tell people about this Jesus of Nazareth who was coming again. Nearly all through the service, the words were ringing in my ears, You ought to be a Christian. 
and I could get no rest. I reached the house late that night. It being the little girl's birthday, the children had a birthday party, and some of the refreshments were saved till I returned. I seated myself at the board at about twenty past ten that evening. It was a long extension table circular at one end, and I sat at one end. I had not been sitting there very long when suddenly I was seized with a peculiar feeling again. I was alone in the room as the family had retired, save Mr. Fiske, and he was nowhere in sight. It seemed that someone was standing behind my chair and placing a load on my back. It was getting heavier and still heavier, and I felt as though it would crush me. I could hardly move. Of a sudden, I began to choke, and I could not swallow the food. I knew not what it meant. Then, of a sudden, I saw. On the other side of the lamp, which is about two feet distant from me on the table, four words written in letters of fire. The letters each seemed about four inches long, and they looked like gold. The words were, "You are a sinner." When I saw these words, a terrible feeling came upon me. What could I do? What did it mean? Here was a presentation without any hand writing it, and no one seeing it or knowing anything about it but myself. I was a sinner, these words said, and I felt as though I was. I was terribly perplexed, and I had no one to help me. Suddenly, I heard a voice say to me, "Why don't you ask Mr. Fiske to pray with you?" As quickly as possible, I called to him. And asked him if he would pray with me. I felt as though something must be done that I might get relief. We both went on our knees. This being the first time that I had ever bowed the knee in prayer, he prayed for me and asked God to forgive my sins. When he had finished, I immediately felt that I wished to pray, and for the first time in my life, I asked God in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. To forgive me my sins, oh the wonderful, the blessed, and the precious peace that came into my soul! It seemed to me as though the very light of heaven was shining in that room, and the glory of God was manifest. I could clearly see that Jesus was my Savior, that He was the one who died for my sins, that He was my own dear friend, and that He had called me. To be his child, what a wonderful flood of light and happiness came into my life! I had gotten a glimpse of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. God had indeed called me to Himself. I had found Jesus of Nazareth. I found Him to be my own Messiah. I felt that I was transformed into a new world, that a new life had entered into my being. The load was gone, and it seemed to me as though I could walk on air. Oh, what a wonderful thing it was to have Jesus come into the heart! This same blessed Jesus that I was taught to hate, despise, scoff at, and ridicule was really and truly the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, the Holy One of Israel, and I had never known how good He was till now. Now he had forgiven my sins, taken away all the load of guilt from my soul, revealed himself to me as he was, 
and called me to be one of his followers. It was blessed, blessed indeed. That night was a far different one from the preceding, and I felt very happy being safe in the arm of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast. There by his love, O oh, shaded, sweetly my soul doth rest. He said that when he awoke the next morning, he felt that he had entered into a new life, a new experience and a new purpose, in actual fact a new world. The very first impression that came to him was that he must now leave the shoe business and go and tell everyone about Jesus. He had this great desire that all people must know about Christ, this wonderful and blessed Messiah, this beloved son of the living God. As soon as he went down to breakfast, he informed Mr. Fiske and his family that he had found Jesus and that Jesus had forgiven his sins. He said to the Fiske family that he was going to sell his tools, leave the shop and begin at once to proclaim these wonderful things that he'd learned about Jesus of Nazareth. He felt as though everyone would be only too glad to hear, just as he was, considering he had not known these things all his life. He had been taught to hate Jesus of Nazareth and felt sure that when he told the people what Jesus had done for him, how Jesus had led him through such a wonderful experience, that everyone would wish to accept him, especially those of his Jewish brethren who had been through the same experiences he had as a child. He went and gave notice to the foreman that he was going to leave his position and that he was going to go and tell other people about this wonderful Jesus he had found. He was so happy because he truly felt that he had found the pearl of great price. It was not long before the men in the factory learned that he had become a Christian, and to let that be known in a shoe shop, well, he had to be prepared for a hard and terrible experience. But it did not make any difference to him, for he had found the Messiah, and that was all he wanted. This precious knowledge that he had been given was more than anything else to him, and he felt that he could endure anything for this wonderful Jesus. The idea of persecution or tribulation or anything of that character never entered his mind, as the Lord doubtless kept that away from him at the time. Jesus just filled his soul to overflowing and impressed him deeply how much he was loved, and that Jesus with whom he was now becoming so acquainted, who had revealed himself to him as the Christ, the true Messiah, was his only hope, the same one that he had been hating all these years. Khan Cohen makes an interesting statement about the Sabbath. He said, The next Sabbath I left my work and observed the day as holy unto the Lord. How different it seemed to me from the Sabbaths that I had observed when a boy and a young man. Before, I had kept it because I was taught to do so, because I was told that the Bible said so, because it was handed down from my ancestors to my people throughout the centuries. But now I kept it because Jesus was in the Sabbath. Jesus the Messiah was the Creator as well as the Saviour. Now it was doubly holy. It was not only a memorial of creation, it was also a memorial of redemption. How precious its holy hours seemed, and what blessed peace 
was flooding my soul. Cohen went on to say that one of his first desires when he became a Christian was to know what was in the New Testament. He had become hungry for its knowledge. He immediately began to study and to compare with the Old Testament and found it to be a flood of light being poured into his soul. He could finally appreciate the truthfulness of the words of the Apostle Paul when he said that blindness had happened to Israel and that a great veil was upon their hearts which blinded their minds. When that veil, however, was removed and the heart turned to the Lord, they could see clearly the meaning of Moses and the prophets that Jesus of Nazareth would be the one absorbing central figure. He could scarcely leave the book alone. He wanted to devour it. It seemed like a precious treasure to him. This book that had been forbidden to the Jews to even touch for those many years was the balm that was needed to open his eyes and to give him the true understanding. And so it would be with each and every Jew. For many years prior to that time, he had done little studying even in the Old Testament. And while he had still believed that it was the Word of God, he took no real time to read it. But as soon as he began to read and study the Old Testament in conjunction with the New, many things which had puzzled him as a child, as a young man, were made clear in his mind. He had found the true light, and there was no doubting it. Much as what he was ashamed before his conversion of being a Jew, he was glad that he had been a Jew and that Jesus Christ could convert a Jew. He felt and wished to tell everyone that Jesus was his Savior, that he had been a sinful Jew, a Christ-hater. But now that Jesus of Nazareth had revealed himself to him and had shown him that he was able to save even him, he at once went about confessing to the people in the house that he had hidden his religion from them for the two years that he had been in their home and that he had actually been reared a Jew. But then Mr. and Mrs. Fisky informed him that they had concluded this and they seemed very happy for him for what the Lord had done for his soul. And with that, we will conclude episode 7 for today. In episode 8, Cohen tells about his going to work for the salvation of others. Look forward to being with you next time.